I'm sure most of you remember the movie Black Hawk Down, where American forces were for fighting uh, enemy combatants uh, in Somalia. Uh, I bet you remember Benghazi too, and that was portrayed in 13 Hours, again, where American forces came under attack uh, in Benghazi. And lastly, I'm willing to bet that you remember the movie Zero Dark Thirty, and that was the hunt, the famous hunt for Osama bin Laden. My next guest was behind all of them. He was involved in all those missions and more. Thomas Pacora had a long and decorated career as a CIA security officer, protecting America's intelligence personnel and senior USG officials against a backdrop of the war on terror. Thomas Pacora is prepared to draw back the curtain on the little-known and misunderstood world of the CIA protective operations, security teams who work on the front lines in some of the most dangerous places in the world, doing battle with America's most determined enemies in the war on terror and more. Next on the CJ Evolution Podcast. everybody. Welcome back to the show. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're brand new to the CJ Evolution podcast, welcome. We hope you stick around. You're going to love the shows. We have great content, great guests, including the next one. I want to give a big shout out to all the brave men and women out there protecting this great country and communities. Whatever you are doing, thank you. You have much support. Keep up the fantastic work. Very excited to be partnered with Detecticam. This amazing and innovative company is protecting our brave men and women in the field, whether it's military or first responders, by providing mobile threat detection for the palm of their hands, detecting illicit drugs and explosives. Head over to cjevolution.com, click on the Detecticam link, and see what this great company can do for your organization. Folks, big shout out to Four Sigmatic. I got hooked on this product about a year and a half ago, and I love their coffee. And it's not like regular coffee, it's mushroom coffee, and it's good mushrooms. Trust me, you're going to love the taste. It doesn't taste the way you're thinking it's going to taste. If you head over to CJ Evolution, you're going to see a link for Four Sigmatic. They have coffees, elixirs. My personal favorite is the Lion's Mane Mushroom Coffee. I'm willing to bet you're going to love it. Give it a try. You're going to get 15% off using the promo code CJEVO. You will not be disappointed. On to the show with Thomas Pacora. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I am very excited, super excited to have my next guest on the show, uh, a true American patriot hero, Tom Pacora. Thank you, sir, for being here. Oh, thanks, Patrick. Now, for those uh, of listeners out there, Tom, that don't know who you are. Can you give a little bit of a bio? I gave one at the at the intro, but can you give a more in-depth bio of yourself, sir? Um, I'm a 24-year career security officer for the CIA. and um, But my, my background is a little more varied there because I bounced in and out of uh, security into operations and counterterrorism and security training. But um, uh, the gist of what I did was I was protecting our people, our um, agency personnel, property, and um, information overseas the majority of my time, my 24 years. And I was undercover for 23 out of 24 years. So if you'd have run into me back in those days, I would have lied to you about where I worked. <laughs> and you have had, I mean, you you have done so much in your career, sir. I want to get into it. Uh, you're the recipient of just numerous 
awards. I mean, uh, you know, the Intelligence Star, Career Intelligence Medal, Meritorious uh, Unit Citation. And you were involved in some of the big profile incidents, cases, whatever you want to call it, including Black Hawk Down, the hunt for Osama Bin Laden. You've been in the thick of it, right in the middle, yeah. Tom. Can yes. you, can you uh, talk my, a little bit about that, those experiences? It, it's unusual. I, I, I came in at the right time for that kind of, uh, of an exciting <laughs> career. My, uh, my, I have two co-writers for a book that I wrote, and they, they laughingly call me the before scump of security because <laughs> I seem to be there at those moments. And these were big, big moments in American history yeah. in the sense that um, I got involved in a, uh, into a training program that became um, uh, an actual unit that later on became famous, but um, back in 1991. And then terrorism really struck home hard for me when I was working at the CIA's uh, security duty office. Uh, and in 1993, um, there was an attack on our front gate by a Pakistani terrorist, and he killed two of our officers and wounded three more. And um, basically from that moment on, uh, terrorism was a, was a basic big part of my career track. I was, uh, uh, th that was the Mike baptism. That was a actually happened before the first attack on the world trade center. Mm -hmm. And then from there, things just picked up. I, I ended up in Mogadishu, um, part of, uh, part of the elements that were supporting the U S military humanitarian, um, program. And that's where I actually first encountered some of bin Laden's troops. They came in there to, uh, to have a go at, at our special operations uh, elements. Uh, and that big battle was uh, Black Hawk Down. Mm -hmm. And then um, after that, I went into uh, a counterterrorism unit where I actually was out in, in the world stalking terrorists and watching them and then looking for their signature uh, in terms of protecting our people overseas. And that's where I was in the same town with bin Laden, um, Khartoum, Sudan. Mm -hmm. which is not a place on your, uh, on your travel, uh, tourist list. Um, and then I got into, uh, a, a variety of other, uh, elements of where we were working against him. And, uh, I was out in Pakistan, Afghan area when the big push was to get bin Laden. And, uh, so I was supporting elements that actually, uh, were successful in getting, mm -hmm. getting him uh, off the, off the board, as they say. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, sir, for your, honorable service to this great country. I mean, what, what made you kind of backing up a little bit, Tom, <clears throat> what made you join the CIA? I mean, what was the catalyst? Was there something, did you always want to work in uh, government service or, or was there something yes, that happened? I, I did. As a kid, I, uh, when I was about seven, I, I wrote to the FBI and they send you this huge packet as if you're like a real candidate for <laughs> a job. And I, you know, from that moment on, I was enamored with being in the federal service and uh, after a little a little stint in officer candidate school for Marine Corps, I decided um, that the, that wasn't going to work out with me. I was going to go to grad school. But after that, I saw an ad in the newspaper in my uh, hometown in, of Milwaukee in uh, uh, 1988 time period. And I um, applied and was hired in 1989. And I left uh, Milwaukee and I was gone for 27 years. Wow. 24 years with the agency and then traveling around. Now, is the this might be a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Tom. Now, you know, you see, there's been movies about the CIA, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've maybe seen some of them, maybe I haven't, but uh, it is, you know, it's always portrayed as this kind of glamorous kind of 
organization, you know, to work for and you go to the farm and you learn all this top secret stuff. And, um, and then you see other movies or the, you know, there's other portrayals of the CIA that, that shows this other, you know, weird corruption kind of thing. I mean, what was your, what's your take on how the CIA is portrayed? Because I, it's an honorable organization. I think they're doing amazing things to protect this great country. I mean, you were in there for so long. I mean, what do you think, what's your take on how it's portrayed sometimes? Well, accurate, likes to, inaccurate, yeah, totally, totally <laughs> inaccurate. It's, uh, Hollywood likes to, I have to give you kind of a couple of different sides of this. Um, uh, I'll start out with uh, one of the best movies to explain the war on terror is the Zero Dark Thirty movie. Yeah, great movie. That is the closest to 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 really accurate. And that's because they had unprecedented access to the players that were involved. But in general, Hollywood does not portray us well. And part of it is when we are super successful, you never hear about it. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to hear about all the successors. You're only going to hear about the times we have a mishap. Um, so it's very unbalanced. The second part is there's a whole lot of people who do um, non-glamorous jobs at, at the agency uh, and are, you know, they just work their whole career uh, domestically and they, they support all the elements that are overseas. And, um, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's like working at any other government agency. You know, they go, there's people who have to, you know, load the copier and, and, and fix the air conditioning unit and mm-hmm. clean the cafeteria. And all those people are supporting uh, the pointy end of the spear, which is overseas, trying to uh, protect, you know, America. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the parts that isn't talked about a lot, and I'm I'm full supporter, and everybody at the agency is a full supporter, law enforcement and the military. And we, we, we collaborate on so many different things now, um, especially. But we... There, there's kind of a loss of uh, understanding by the uh, by the public that the agency has people working 365 days a year in locations all over the world where the military isn't even posted, where conditions are uh, dismal to to say the least um, and dangerous, and um, those people go and can spend their whole career and never see any. Uh, daylight in terms of uh, the public understanding what they do. And some of what my, I I came out with a book called Guardian, Life in the Crosshairs of the CIA's War on Terror. Mm -hmm. And one of the important parts um, for me to talk about in that book is uh, the fact that there are, there are uh, a large number of people overseas working behind the scenes, uh, sacrificing, um, uh, for for the good of the country, and I, I kind of wanted to give an uh, an unprecedented glimpse into that world and the human toll that goes into that, um, because it's not it's not talked about. Yeah, and there's so much, Tom. I mean, you speaking obviously from experience. I mean, it uh, your job over the years. I mean, and, and everybody else that does the same thing, protecting the country. I mean, it's got to take a toll on you, you know, with. Uh, <laughs> Mentally, yeah. physically, probably to some degree. Yeah. So you, you have to take care of yourself and you have to support each other, which I'm sure you guys do. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, uh, um, like for, for myself, uh, the most amount of time I ever spent in one place was, the, was uh, three years I was posted in Asia. Mm-hmm. I spent, uh, I was always on the road, a road warrior. Now everybody has to do that. But um, the, the career choices I made, 
uh, had me going overseas and working and especially in war zones because that, that was, that was more my expertise led. I was a, um, very good at, at working with uh, our elements and protecting them in, in low intensity conflicts and then also doing actual protection details. And, um, one of the things that, that comes out in my book is it's the, it's the uh, prequel. It's the origin story of the security unit that uh, protected the and saved the uh, State Department personnel uh, in Benghazi yeah. in 2012. And um, uh, pre- prior, um, previously to that incident, um, the unit was uh, not known to the public. And it started out being called the Protective Operations Cadre and actually started in 1991 officially. It actually started uh, operationally first in the Philippines in 1990. And we've been operating, protecting our personnel all over the world um, since those days. And we only made it to the press yeah. uh, during the Benghazi incident. So this was this is kind of, uh, you know, exposing um, you know, all uh, approved by the CIA um, uh, the background behind that unit and how uh, influential it was in protecting our our intelligence personnel when they were trying to collect in areas that was just too dangerous for them to go alone. Yeah, and I think, uh, and for those of you listeners out there, the the Benghazi incident was portrayed in a movie called Thirteen Hours, which I thought was a good movie. Tom, was that an <laughs> accurate portrayal of what was going on over there, or what? Um, you know, with with some of the Hollywood changes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there are places that we go where it's kind of a little bit of a roll of the dice in terms of, you know, how much protection uh, is available to the personnel. We do our own, as you tell from the movie and the, and the actual incident, we protect our own people. Um, but in that case, uh, we came to the rescue of the State Department. And sometimes they do not staff appropriately. And that was one of those situations. And unfortunately, um it did not go well for them. Well, and I think there was, a, I mean, I, I think most people out there know, you know, that they didn't, they called for backup. It never came. It was, um, I, I, and I don't know, you tell me, Tom. I mean, I, I think it was a failure, the government's part, to protect our assets overseas, especially in Benghazi. Absolutely. I mean, that's just my take. I mean, I, I we should have done a better job. The, 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 the facts are all there. I mean, the, uh, we lost a standing ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he d- directly asked for additional security resources. They weren't given. And there's, there's nothing um, obscure about that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you work with big bureaucracies, sometimes things happen. Yeah. And uh, that's the unfortunate part. If you work long enough in, in the area, you, you'll see them. Mm-hmm. You'll see these incidents happen. And what, you, you try to fix them, but with humans, we have a tendency to forget. What are some other highlights or, of your career? You've, you've mentioned the war on terror, which is a big one, uh, being involved with uh, bin Laden, Black Hawk Down. What are some other highlights that you can talk about? Well, after I, I left Asia in, in 2004, I went to Iraq, and I was uh, head of security for all of our operations in, in Iraq in terms of security. And um, that was, uh, was fascinating to see and be part of, of the big, group effort in Iraq. We worked very closely with the State Department, with the U.S. military, um, and then I had a huge group of people um, that I had to protect all over the country. Mm-hmm. And I had some great security personnel working with me and for me, um, doing protection, protective operations, 
uh, physical security, guard force. Uh, we had bomb dogs. We had all kinds of things. And But we also had some some fun stuff. We had uh, the CIA is usually what we call wet. We, we, we usually have alcohol wherever we are. And <laughs> got to have and that. Iraq was no exception. And we had a bar and we were at one point, probably, probably the only real bar in, in Baghdad. <laughs> and uh, that, uh, unfortunately the, the, the security for that bar fell on my shoulders. And I was, so I was the, <laughs> I was the big bouncer for the bar. And uh, I would have to make sure that people um, didn't mix alcohol and, and firearms. And <laughs> probably a shit show, stuff. probably. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll give you one story. It's, uh, I ended up having to kick um, uh, this big gentleman uh, out of the bar. for He was carrying a, a weapon in a fanny pack. And it turned out that it, it was uh, Eric Prince from uh, Blackwater. <laughs> so I booted him out of the bar. <laughs> so every once in a while, we had, a, we had an exciting moment there. You know, a, there was a lot of fun mixed in with, uh, the work. Yeah. But, uh, that was very satisfying. And then I worked, uh, as head of security out in the PAC Afghan region, um, for another 15 months when we were on the big push to get bin Laden. And I worked with the lady, um, who was portrayed in, as Maya in Dark, zero dark 30. Uh, I was part of, uh, of the element really going after bin Laden. And, mm. and, uh, I'll tell you, we were, we're not, re- we were not really surprised to find that he was hiding in Pakistan. Yeah. There was a lot of evidence of that. Yeah, and the yeah, that movie was amazing. We talked a little bit off the air, Tom, and that's probably the most accurate behind-the-scenes look at what the agency does in conjunction with the U.S. military and other assets, but that's pretty accurate, right, that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very. I mean, they, they made my up to, to be a little bit more uh, adventurous, you know, uh, surviving a, a bombing and a shooting. Mm-hmm. That didn't really happen, but... Uh, but um, uh, the kind of work that she did, she was very instrumental in, in, in tracking um, the threads back to him and finding, you know, his location and then working with yeah. all the elements to get him. Yeah, I'd read a great collaborative effort. Yeah, I'd read a book uh, by uh, Robert O'Neill, as you probably know, mm-hmm. uh, SEAL Team 6 guy, and he uh, wrote a book called The Operator, I think it's called. And, and uh, I, I listened to the audio. It's amazing because it, it tells, and you know this, Tom, I'm preaching to the choir probably. I mean, you know, you get into the SEAL teams and then there's another another huge, you know, step to get into SEAL Team 6. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so but uh, it's an interesting book. You know, he talks about, you know, SEAL training and all that stuff, which I'm sure you're aware of. But and then he talks about the operation to, to get Ben Laden. Yes, and there, there's been a long history of, of working, you know, the elements working together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a guy named um, Howard Wasden wrote a book called uh, SEAL Team Six, mm-hmm. and in it he talks about working with the the CIA in Somalia. And he, he, uh, when he was working with us back in those days, I was ninety three. I was there just before Black Hawk Down, and um, how he wrote about uh, his adventures in in a, up hiding up in North Moog, and um, coming out of there, and then he actually mentions the protection unit vaguely uh, that uh, was working there, our unit. And uh, he actually talks about the uh, ambush that happens, that happened to us in, in September of 1993, mm-hmm. where we almost lost our protectee yeah. back in the, back in the primitive days of protection where we had no armor and, <laughs> and GPS for just three letters in the alphabet. Now, what do you think, uh, Tom, shifting gears a little bit, um, <clears throat> I think we public in, you know, in general hears about these threats to the 
the United States and some of them we hear all the time, but if you could talk about it, what do you think other, I mean, I know we have threats every day mm-hmm. that are happening and, and threats that are thwarted by our intelligence and law enforcement, but if you could talk about it, what do you think some of the biggest threats in the future of the United States are going to be? I think, well, we've kind of, um, uh, we're repeating a, a pattern when I went into the agency uh, back in 89, the, the threat was from radical fundamentalist terrorism mm-hmm. um, in the Middle East. And what's happened is, um, well, things, things st- stabilized. We had uh, Mubarak in Egypt. We had Gaddafi in Libya. We had uh, a, a variety of, of different leaders that were basically tamping down on the terrorism. So things got better. But now the, a lot of these countries are, are uh, falling into chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Syria is under uh, is a mess. Uh, Yemen is totally unstable. Um, Libya is uh, another unstable area. So, and that's where they thrive. So we are, we're, we're penciling back up mm-hmm. to, to the Middle East is, is, uh, is coming back onto the scene as another area for these guys to, to uh, gather and recruit and build support. And then the other side of that is we, they've, they've radicalized all the way out across the world. And now we've got, uh, we still have, uh, problems in uh, Southeast Asia mm-hmm. with radical fundamentalism and that's picking up again. So the, the, that, those areas are, are going to heat up again, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, now in terms of the, on the, on the homeland front, uh, law enforcement, and the domestic elements of security, homeland security, have done a great job uh, in stopping the the threats that that try to reach into our shores. And um, you know, a lot of people uh, don't realize you know, that the, the threat's still there. These guys are and gals are uh, on the on the wall, making sure that it doesn't get in. Um, so they've done a great job. But the uh, in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. That problem's going to persist. And is that because of, without getting into a you know political discussion, I mean, that's got to be because of policies and, and uh, politics, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be decisions that are made at the highest levels. And some, of the, some of it's there, and some of it is the, uh, the evolution of these countries in terms of their, uh, when, when you have a, a dictator, he controls things. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when a dictator is overthrown and, and the group that overthrows them has no real background in governing. It's it's not unusual for that government to, to collapse. And then now you've got a, an area that's ungoverned. And perfect example is Libya. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, while nobody liked Gaddafi, while he was in power, we were not having any threats coming out of Libya. And now it's a mess. Mm-hmm. So areas where there is, you know, where, where uh, analogy where, where the cat's away, the mice will play, mm-hmm. And then you've got some of the radical mindsets going on in, in some of the Southeast Asian countries. We've got some uh, fundamentalism building up, uh, bubbling up again. And that's where their governments have got to step in. But uh, we'll see what happens. It's uh, Unfortunately, it's, you know, over, over the 20, almost 30 years that I've been in, in, in the security game, it, it seems like it's uh, a roller coaster up and down. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to people, it's, it's some of the – discussions I've had with people, you know, they, they kind of, not everybody, but some people have this, have adopted this mindset. Well, it's, it's over there. It's, it's not here. And I'm like, it could very easily come over here. 
Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and we, we've got a, a lot of problems domestically, as you know, uh, Tom, with, with uh, yeah. some of these groups internally within the United States. And I just think people, you, you just can't live in this bubble like some people do and say, oh, well, nothing's ever going to happen. Let's go back oh, to. Oh, no, that's how we got in trouble before. We thought, it, uh, we thought it's over there. And they came over here, and that's why we, we've got to have Homeland Security and law enforcement here on their toes. But but you're right. Um, we have to keep an eye on those areas to see what's happening because if they start developing certain capabilities, we're in really a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, Cambio, um, weaponry, um, dirty bombs, things like that, uh, counterproliferation, yeah. that is still something that they want to get their hands on. Now, what does intelligence look like down the road, sir? I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about uh, the intelligence agencies. We talked a little bit uh, uh, off the air about, uh, you know, technology and, and mm-hmm. how, like you said, Tom, there was pendulum switch or, you know, swings, you know, before it was heavily technology based. Now it's back, you know, human assets. I personally think you're always going to need, I think human, you, nothing can beat the human and component but yeah. you know what, what what is your take on that what's what's you know, the cia and nsa and those kind of intelligence agencies gonna gonna look like down the road in the future oh we're, we're gonna have to adapt mm-hmm. and uh and that's always been the case but um since we're not really working against big militized units like the like we were in the cold war mm-hmm. where we could use the satellites to, to count the uh, soldiers and tanks and all that now, uh, what we really need to know is more of the intent, and that's where the human um, sources are going to have to be more um, effective. But part of the problem is with the technology in airports and places like that, it's going to be extremely hard to do some of the things we did before, uh, to portray yourself as somebody else when you've got uh, uh, retinal scans and fingerprinting. So we're going to have to adapt. Uh, it's going it's going to be a kind of a whole new world in terms of how we gather human intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I don't uh, I don't envy um, our operators or our intelligence personnel. Uh, it's working in that environment. It's going to be tough, but we we'll just have to adapt. Yeah, we'll have to adapt. No. And and again, talk talk a little bit more about your book, sir. I mean, uh, life in the crosshairs of the CIA's war on terror, uh, Guardian. Uh, you know, y- you wrote along with John Land and uh, Lindsey uh, Preston, and this draws back the curtain again. Um, you know, on the misunderstood uh, world of the CIA because it is kind of a dark place that really nobody knows that you're there. Yeah. You know. All these brave men and women protecting this country are there until you wrote a book about it. (laughs) You know, and you kind of shed light on some of this stuff that a lot of people don't know about. Maybe that's a good thing we don't know about that. Well, it you know, it's the the cork's been popped and we're we're out in the public, so we were lucky. Um, It's a and the other part of it's it's a real success story. Um, uh, We have we've had an incredible success record working in some of the worst places in the world, as I said. Uh, unofficially, we started in 1990. We had the first training class in 91. I, I was part of that. And I've, I've been in and out of the unit, um, which started out being called the Protective Operations Cadre. And uh, up until uh, 9-11, it was all staff. So we were trained in-house. And it was our training was, it was a new phenomenon. How do you do low-profile protection? Uh, how do you... Um, how do you protect people so that no, other people don't even know you're moving around? Mm-hmm. Because clandestine operations, that's how we work. We, we 
people aren't supposed to go, oh, there's a CIA case officer moving around. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, so we had to learn from, from DEA officers and their undercover programs. We learned uh, from Secret Service. So we put together this, this new way of doing things, and it's been incredibly successful. Um, doing the primary mission, which is basically mobile protection, we've never lost a protectee, and we've only really had one officer killed. Uh, and that's since uh, 1990. Mm-hmm. And this is working in the, some of the most dangerous locations in the world, places that the U.S. military doesn't even go. And um, and we did this all under the public of you know, Benghazi and maybe one little blip on the radar in Pakistan. Um, but it's uh, uh, this this methodology really worked. And um, uh, there are a lot of people who are working a, a lot of hours overseas missing their families doing this mm-hmm. uh, in fact in one country we were there from 95 to 2000 wow. uh, 365 days a year providing uh, protection to our our personnel mm-hmm. and uh, this is this is the, the prequel story as I said uh, of the GRS the global response staff and, the, and the, the, the security team from the annex and um, uh, this is um, this is information that's never been printed before and then uh, I also talk about some of the other elements in security that are doing work that people don't know about um, and some of our counterterrorist uh, efforts, like in Khartoum when I was with a counterterrorism unit. That's only been mentioned once before in a book by a guy named Billy Waugh called Hunting the Jackal. Mm-hmm. And that's the story about how we got uh, – we, we identified and took photos of uh, Carlos the Jackal in Khartoum. Uh, and uh, he was then snatched up by the French and put in jail. So um, this is a, there's a lot of unprecedented information in this in in this book, but it's also, as you mentioned, um, a book I wanted to talk about the human toll, the you know the, what it what it's like for the families um, of people who are out posted in these places, and then also for the op, for the the officers, uh, the sacrifices being made. And that's what. Uh that I'm sure it frustrates you, Tom, when you see, you know, some segments out there in society that are just hammering our military, our first responders, and people have no idea, most people, what, you know, people like you go through, what first responders go through, and yeah, there's bad apples in every barrel, but uh, that's what frustrates me sometimes is people don't appreciate what, you know, what, Brave men and women do every single day, yes, to protect this country at all cost. You know, yes. I mean, they 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 took an oath to protect the country, and they're over there posted at some station, some hellhole, and they're doing it to protect this great country. And I just wish some people, not all people, I think most people are appreciative and they mm-hmm. re- respect, uh, you know, our, our you know units like the CIA and FBI and NSA. But I think there's people out there that just don't care. Yeah. Well, I, and, and it's, it's not that people go into this world, do not do it for the recognition. Yeah. Oh, I know that. (laughs) That that part's, uh, it's, it's not part of the, uh, of the uh, overall scheme. Yeah. But, um, there's, there are some of the casualties that come with this, uh, lifestyle, you know, people uh, unfortunately get hurt or they, or they perish They, they don't get home. And, um, so one of the things that I'm doing with my book is I'm contributing uh, 10% of any profits that goes to the CIA's Officers Memorial Foundation, which um, 
supports the educational needs of the children and spouses of, of all the uh, CIA officers that um, that gave their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one of the things that I'm doing, uh, trying to give back to uh, the people who are, who are who never made it back. Yeah. you The book's been out since May, right, sir? Correct. And so you're doing book tours and speaking, yes. and you're all over Just the place now. A, 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 an actual book signing at uh, the famous uh, Poison Pen bookstore in Scottsdale, Arizona. On um, That's the 3rd of, of September. And I'm doing um, – uh, I'm setting some some more – uh, book signing, saying one in Arizona, and then I'm looking to do one at the Spy Museum in um, Washington D.C. When I get that hooked up, that'll be a good event. Nice, and everybody, go pick up the book "Guardian: Life in the Crossers of the CIA's War on Terror" by Thomas Pecora, John Land, and Lindsay Preston. Sir, it has been an absolute honor having you uh, on the show. Thank you so much for your dedicated years. Uh, to this great country. Um, you are, I'm sure you still got your finger on the pulse. You talk to those brave men and women who protect mm-hmm. us every day. And like I said, sir, anything we can do uh, for you, just, just let us know. Much success uh, to you in the future. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate being on your show. All righty, sir. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast. For more strategies for self-improvement and resources based on today's episode, be sure to head to cjevolution.com. You can also connect to Patrick directly on social media at Pat underscore Fitzgibbons with any questions, comments, or concerns. We look forward to helping you find more personal success on the next episode of the CJ Evolution Podcast.